On this, the 31st episode of Ask the Masters podcast, we have a roundtable discussion featuring all of the masters as they break down several topics, including working with architects on complex projects. All hands on deck for this one. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. All right, welcome into the show. We are excited to have all of these SWD masters in-house today. So um, what we want to have is a kind of a roundtable discussion all around um, working with architects uh, and, and why the SWD membership, why our uh, why we feel that working with SWDs uh, enhances architects' um, plans and, and how we can help them and how we solve some of the, uh, the real pain points that architects, um, that, that, that cause architects to um, put on their plans pulled by others. Um, we've got some solutions for that. And, uh, and so I'm just gonna, we're just gonna go around the room here. Um, I will start, my name is Dave Penton from Fluid Dynamics Pool and Spa. I'm based out of Southern California. I work in LA and Orange County, a little bit Northern San Diego County. And Paulo? I'm uh, Paulo Benedetti. Uh, my company's Aquatic Technology Pool and Spa out of Morgan Hill, California, and I work globally. Yeah, Mike Nance, uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, Elite Concepts is a company, and, and uh, like Paul, I, I will work globally, hard to say. I'm Dave Peterson with Watershape Consulting in Solana Beach, and uh, I work all over the world as an engineer doing structural and mechanical design for pools, spas, and water features. I am Rick Chafee with Red Rock Pools and Spas and Red Rock Contractors. We do majority of our work in the Arizona market, but do work around the world a little bit doing design and um, consulting and construction. I'm Bill Drakely, uh, Drakely Pool Company. I do not work globally. I have enough problems in the Northeast <laughs> to keep me busy full time. I'm a Grant Smith, Aquiline Pools and Spas out of Carlsbad, California. I work uh, Orange County, uh, some LA, and then San Diego County. And I build the uh, pools and do landscape, landscape construction. So a little bit uh, about all of us. We are all members of the Society of Watershape Designers. And the Society of Watershape Designers is um, basically the alumni group for um, uh, something called Genesis University. And we have all completed the curriculum of Genesis University. Uh, Genesis University is a very stringent curriculum um, that uh, that is focused on uh, around a, a number of elements. Uh, so. Um, hydraulic and structural efficiency uh, and, and uh, really understanding the codes. And so we learn all about that. Uh, but then we also learn um, about design. So it's not just a, it's not just an, a bunch of engineers. Um, we also learn about um, elements of design, color theory, uh, just different um, design programs that are part of our core curriculum uh, so that we can work with uh, architects and engineers and, and understand the language. I'll speak for myself. I'm, my company does not do any architectural design at all. Um, so I rely on the architects that I work with regularly uh, to come up with the, uh, the, the visual concepts. And then I work real hard to um, uh, kind of make the mechanical systems and everything work. But um, within the Genesis uh, education, um, I have learned some of the important things uh, of, of uh, design details and why they're so important to, um, uh, to architects and, and understanding the, uh, some of the theories in that uh, behind it. So um, why don't you guys kind of chime in a little bit. What, what, uh, what's your understanding of, uh, how would you describe the Genesis education that you guys have all received? Yeah, definitely for me, it's like just, uh, I'm a builder like you. I don't do a lot of design work, if, if any at all. So for me, what Genesis taught me is actually how to talk to architects, understand what they're saying, because we take classes in uh, you know, design elements, sketching, uh, you know, computer CAD, CAD designing, and then also color theory. So I can actually talk to an architect or even a client and, uh, and know that they're t when they talk about you know, colors and what they actually mean and, and the purpose for that color you know, in the art. I think for me, you know, as an engineer, I obviously went to school and studied a very technical curriculum, and I understood design. I could see design. I could recognize good design from bad design. But 
going through the, the design courses, I was able to learn that there is a science to it. And it's, you know, that learned science is something that you can teach to others. And when you start incorporating that, that science, science and, and the language of architecture into your own uh, vernacular, and you, you, you start to be able to do things that you really couldn't do before. You know, your sense of scale just gets that much more refined and you can really start to pull the pieces together, make the projects even better than what you might've been able to do beforehand. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like Dave, I you know had a, a sense of it coming into the industry and, and had some education in design previously as well. And, and so that was a, a good foundation, but still the refinement of, of the things within the Genesis program that, uh, that, that really helped me better my craft. And uh, the one that just jumps out in my head though is color theory. Uh, it just was a really difficult thing for me to grasp the, the first time that I took it in school, just when I was in my 20s. But the program that we do now with uh, with the instructor for Ross that we have, uh, I won't venture to try his last name. It's just so difficult for me to say. But anyway, it, it's just an amazing new level of color that I know about and uh, and can understand and interpret and bring forth to the client. So that's... Uh, it, it, it just is, has helped my, uh, my, my work uh, tenfold since taking that class. So um, uh, a lot of architects maybe are not familiar with the SWD uh, and, and who we are. So um, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the history. Uh, where did we come from? You know, we're not uh, this flash in the pan. We have been around. I mean, our, uh, our, our, uh, the Genesis education started over 20 years ago um, and, and really uh, so uh, some of you that are kind of the some of the originators that have been around for the 20 years uh, talk a little bit about um, how this all came about and and, and uh, what are some of the theories behind it you want to jump well I, I think the reason it really it originated was that there was a void uh, that was recognized early on between what the pool industry was doing and what was happening with architectural pools. So uh, when it, oftentimes uh, plans, site plans would say pool by others, the pool contractor would come in and something with a template and drop something in that didn't work necessarily with the architecture of the home, the materials, um, just the period style. And being able to identify that, you know, some of the classes we have on architectural styles and architectural history, and you know, being able to come in and identify what type of architecture the home is, the type of materials are being used, and the type of appropriate vessel that goes in there. So not every property, even every property with a vista, needs to be a vanishing edge pool. Um, not every rec you know, rectilinear house needs to have a rectilinear pool. Mm -hmm. It's you know, realizing those, the periods and, and what's happening and being able to work with the architects and be able to speak their vernacular. Be able to speak the vocabulary, know their terminology, um, know their materials, and be able to actually bring value to their to their projects. Well, and that, that void in the industry that Paul was talking about early on, I was, I was there in 98 when the whole Genesis thing kicked off. And uh, for instance, Tisherman, he was, one of his ideas was to bring people from outside of the industry to help us improve, such as engineering and, and soils. And so I remember sitting in that class watching a soils guy do a presentation who wasn't a pool guy. This is a soils engineer who came in to do a presentation, basically teach a class on, on soils testing. And I just found it so enlightening. And again, just the light went off in my head. Oh my gosh, I need to start doing this. Never knew about that before. So uh, that was, you know, in the genesis of Genesis, uh, it, was, uh, it was a great foundation and place to start. Yeah, I think early on, you know, uh, design school one, design school two, um, you know, that was everything. Everybody was kind of trying to, to figure it out. And I, I really think in the last 15 years, we've kind of hit our stride. And, mm. uh, you know, we've really yeah. we, we've created a holistic uh, education that really creates <clears throat> well-rounded pool contractors. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, you know, as we really kind of uh, try and step out and and. Um, be an asset for the architectural community you know they no longer have to come in and and really just say pull by others you know and and then kind of hold their nose and and not even look at that part of the property because they know it's going to get screwed up they know that you know the pool is going to be three yeah. feet in the wrong direction and it screws up all of their center points so um you know i really 
that's one of the things that I think the greatest thing that I have found out of my education is just to be able to understand what's important to the architects, yep. um, uh, even if I can't design it properly. Um, and, you know, and I think, I think really, you know, especially in the last 10 years, the, the way the curriculum is set up is it's very much set up that, that the, all of our graduates who are the SWD members um, we are we are well versed in the proper way to build pools hydraulically, structurally, everything, but we also have all of the design side of it, uh, and and um, you know I really want to start to get that word out to architects and engineers that SWD members um, you can rely on us. You know I, I think so many architects and engineers really just don't they they don't have a trust factor with the pool contractors available throughout the country. So, so I kind of touch on that. One of the things that, that I think I've taken away from the Genesis classes in the last 10 years is, is how to collaborate on, on a team, on a design team and, and being able to contribute to their projects in a meaningful way, help them solve problems, uh, offer solutions instead of, um, you know, just being the pool guy, we're actually being a contributing member of a collaborative effort and honoring the, the design philosophy behind what they came up with. So more and more architects now are actually designing the footprint of the pool, might not know how to work a particular detail. Um, that's where we come in to help them work out the fine details, but honor what they came up with. So um, realize, also realize our place that we work for them, they brought us onto the team. Um, we have to honor what it is that, that they put forth to the client and just rationalize it's already been vetted. The design, the shape, the placement, and now ours is just to kind of come in and put the lipstick on it. Yeah. Well, I think the course, the course process of, of taking all those courses gets you to learn and respect what they've learned as well. You know, we look in the, when you get the higher end architectural world of doing high end projects of residential or commercial, there's so many individuals that have invested so much time and professionalism into a project. And when we get to our level on the pool side, that seems to waver or fall away. And they don't have a, someone they can go to that can continue to bring the finishing end. And, and what we do also is so important to the impact on the structure. No matter what the architecture is, bad architecture with bad, with good architecture with bad water features or landscaping makes bad architecture overall <laughs> and vice versa. Bad architecture with great landscaping and water features can kind of change the whole composition and so as long as you learn where you belong in that group and as long as they've going through all the classes you've learned to respect how much knowledge and information is taken to get to this composition they're building once you can add to that like paulo said and not take detract from it with your lack of knowledge and respect it really changes the, the end result is so much better because although they might have a great concept of what they want if you can't help them pull that off you ruin the project in the process and whether it's whether the end of the finishes are wrong the shape of it didn't finish out the way the water was supposed to be reflective on whether it didn't reflect correctly if you don't understand how to make those things happen for them then you've ruined their entire composition potentially so i think by going through a number of history of architecture drawing classes um you know color theory all the parts and then also knowing the parts of, of the mechanicals behind it we can add a lot to the project with, and, and almost be in the background when it's happening, but the end result is, it increases the end result dramatically. See, we have, uh, we have, in the Northeast, we don't deal directly with the architect as much as we deal with the landscape architect. Hmm. We're all part of the same team, and the architect's the lead, but we deal with the landscape architect, and the landscape architect's a little, tr I think a little trickier than an architect. Landscape architect will try to help you build your product whether you like it or not. They'll start writing a design specification. They'll start yeah. writing cross-sectional details. They'll start trying to do, because they had such bad experiences with your typical pool guy, exactly. they're gonna try to, okay, we're gonna let the architect know and the homeowner know that we're gonna watch the pool guy and we're gonna help him build his product. Now, when it comes to us, that doesn't work out too well because I don't know any landscape architect who actually gets all the details right. So I think it's, uh, as Rick and Paul said it's key to get on the team and and show everybody this is how you're supposed to do it this is what you can and can't do with this design and we're here to help and work as as a teammate not as an adversary because the last thing a, some idiot pool guy is going to do is you know and this happens a lot he'll go to the owner and say why well, this design is not right it's not going to work and all of a sudden you cause doubt with the homeowner who's paying the bill and the architectural team and that architect will never hire you again 
or the landscape architect will never hire you again. So it's mm -hmm. tricky. Where I am, it's very tricky. Say, okay, I got your concept. Let me refine it. Let me tell you what we can and can't do. Let's go from there. And I think that's the whole point of what we're trying to do here um, is kind of get the word out and let everybody know that there is this group of individuals across the country that is trained within this. I think, I think that's a perfect story to kind of illustrate exactly the, the conundrum that the pool industry and that the design um, professionals have found with the pool industry is that there's just really not uh, they haven't had resources to go to, uh, and that's what—that's really what the Society of Watershape Designers is all about—is to—is uh, to expose architects and, and uh, design professionals that there are people out there that are trained that aren't going to come in and try and change your change your design and try and tweak it and trying to ruin what you have spent all this time developing. So I know you had something to say, Grant. No, I concur with Bill because we work with landscape architects and we do spec out a lot of you know, items on the plan and, and I have to say, hey, look, we need to kind of back off from this or just do it a different way. Or here's a detail that will really, you know, make your vanishing edge work a lot better. So uh, you're absolutely right. If these people can find, you know, uh, one of us, then we can actually help them and, you know, help their project along and then also make them look good in front of the client. Sure. I think it goes beyond just landscape architects, though. I mean, if you're, you know, you guys have more land out there, but if you're up in Beverly Hills, a lot of these pools are integrated with the homes. Sure. So the architects are taking these projects and frankly, sometimes they're just over detailing themselves before we even get involved. In fact, some of the ways we find out about the jobs is that their drawings have gone out to bid and a pool builder is looking at it going, I don't even know how to build, it's not even buildable. It won't work, uh, the materials are gonna rust. I mean, there's nothing that will work, this is a pool you know, go talk to, you know, me or, or one of you guys or something. So we get involved and sometimes it's, it's amazing. I, I can just look at what the architect is trying to do. And I say, you know what, forget about the detail for a minute. Is your goal just to have the water do this or what, you know, whatever it is. I, I just talk to them about what, what's, what is it that they're looking at? Because they've seen something, you know, photograph something on the internet in a magazine or whatever, and they're trying to replicate that, but they don't know what the details are. So they try to build the detail from an image that's really only showing them the outer surface, the water surface and the materials. How everything happens below that is a totally different thing. So then I take out a pencil and I start doing a very simple sketch. And I say, I can do that very easily like this. And they kind of go, oh, well that, was a lot easier. I didn't have to spend, you know, three weeks with a drafter <laughs> iterating on this thing. Right. You just did it in two seconds because we've done it a hundred times. Right. And I, I think that's where the, some of our value comes in is that we've seen things that work and don't work. And I can, I, a lot of details I can just look at and go, yeah, I know it looks pretty, look, looks functional, but it's an expensive detail and there's three places where it's going to leak. How about this version where there's only one place it could leak, <laughs> but you're saving so much money that you know we can really focus on solving. Well, one thing we run problems. into with the architectural side of when they're integrated so well is if they don't get us in early enough, yeah, they mm -hmm. they try to rethink how to integrate us after the fact. Yeah, we've never worked on a no. job like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but they obviously have an idea what they want it to look like, but they don't have a resource to go to in the process. So where the end result, they've got to hire a general contractor who hires a pool builder, then that says, okay, now how do we make the pool look like the house sits on top of it? And the, the, the right result is how do we find the designer that can help us set the house on the pool? Yeah. Because now we, we can actually do that. We just have to be in early enough that there's not a foundation in our way already and work around it. But I, there's not a lot of resources. You look at how many, you said landscape architects, you look at all the professionals involved in a construction project for even just a general house. Every one of them is a professional on the design side, except for the pool contractor usually. Yeah. He's, he's relied upon for hydraulics, engineering, structural, sometimes extensive constructural, and trying to contain water in a vessel of concrete and we expect this guy to be able to do that with sometimes with no education whatsoever and and then also be helpful to the entire organization of all these professionals when and there's it just it, that's never going to work correctly there's guys that have great experience and and through the through the you know hard knocks they figured out how to do some of that but when you take a group of people like us where there's you know 20 to 30 to 40 to 60 to 100 of us now that are in this group we have so many resources across the continent to, or the world for that matter. Like, I haven't seen that detail, but I bet you Dave has. Let me call Dave. Hey, oh yeah, we just did that at so-and-so. You know, you start bringing all those resources. That's what the architects have been doing for years. 
they help each other, they teach each other, they replicate a, a good idea, get it better every time. We're now starting to bring that to the table, but there's there's still a void of understanding that we exist. And so we still are often brought in, well, the house is done, the foundations are in, they're framing the house, but how we want to make this water feature out front, make it look like these columns are sitting on top. Oh, well, now we can figure a trick to make it look that way, maybe. But had we been called earlier, we could have actually made it sit on top of it and it would have looked bitching. I right? guarantee you the pool industry has been a big motivation for people going to architectural school. Because all these kids at 16 year olds work on a pool job one day and say, frig this, I quit. I'm going to be a designer. I'm not doing this But Rick, you were talking about um, getting in early, but not only from an engineering standpoint, but you know, we can assist a lot with material specifications. Yep. So one of the things that I often see is a lot of people have this indoor outdoor feeling they want with big walls that open up. And it, this is kind of like the big design thing right now. Sure. Everybody wants big walls of glass that open up and it's seamless indoor outdoor. Um, but the materials necessarily that are specified indoor, indoors don't necessarily always work outdoors. And so, you know, being in, that, yeah, being in that with our experience and also what what's going to be sustainable outdoors exposed to chemicals and, and you know, water and saturation and what's going to uh, efflorescence and just from a maintenance standpoint, you know, being able to say, look, you know, that marble might be perfect inside the house, but it might not be the perfect material outside. But we've got some alternatives that we can offer because we've all worked on these, you know, you know, multi-million dollar projects and we've seen all the materials that have been passed around and oftentimes say, you know what, let me, I got somebody to call. I saw a material on a job site. They didn't use it, but I think it'll work on this job. So uh, we're seeing a lot of resources where, um, you know, we're kind of more like octopuses. We're spread out in a lot of things where an architect might be focused on one project for a couple of years. We're in a lot of different projects, uh, right. a lot of different places. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been my experience as well, Paul, that um, it was very, I'm thinking of instances just recently where I, I, being out of Dallas, Dow Tile is based there. And again and again and again, I see architects recommending Dow Tile and great product, uh, but a bit limited in terms of uh, various materials and colors and finishes and whatnot. And and uh, so it's, but I find it, it we have to, you kind of have to tiptoe in. You can't go in with like a bull in a china shop going, oh, this is crap. You've got to do it this way. And I've got some great glasses. And, you know, so we have to be really careful of that. And I'm very respectful of that with, with every architectural meeting that I sit down with. But the way that I do that, as opposed to just telling them, I bring samples of different mm -hmm. things that I, that I feel like based on like what I was referring to a moment ago, color theory, uh, based on some of that expertise, then I just kind of, and, and offer it, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a various design meeting where they're asking me a completely different question However, uh, just open the door because oftentimes they don't, or they've had a bad experience with a material like that. Mm -hmm. And and that question has come up a number of times of, oh yeah, we use glass on this such and such thing and it just all fell off. Called installation, guys, and let me explain to you. And then once they explain the installation process and how the glass works and, and, and all the uh, joinery and all the different things that we have to do, oftentimes is, is a big help. And I've had a few architects that the light went off and went, oh, maybe we can go there now because we have the applicator, somebody who can help us with that part. But to help them vet the materials too, that's, that's the it. other thing. A lot of times they go to these showrooms or a design showcase or they go to a design center and they see materials and a salesperson there knows nothing about material science and says, oh yeah, you can use this in a pool and you can use this in a pool because somebody said it was a pool tile. And it isn't until somebody starts drilling down and insisting that, you know what, we should, before we spec this, let's look at the specifications for it, make sure it's appropriate for the application we're putting it in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you start like pushing back just a little bit saying, well, let's get the technical specs. Let's look at the water absorption rate. Let's look at the freeze thaw. Let's look at the thermal expansion. You kind of start weeding products out, which is something you have to do in an outdoor environment, especially. And then, um, you know, so we've got those things that we can do for them. We can vet those materials. We can do that research and narrow their field down to you know, suitable products that are going to perform well for their clients. Yeah, I think um, historically, I think a lot of architects have felt like this was sort of an unnecessary cost to go retain yet another expert when they were used to writing pool by others. And, and the owner was... At, you know, 15 years ago was comfortable paying the pool guy to go finish out these drawings or whatever it took. And, and I, I think as architects have wanted to retain a bit more control over the architecture, they've started to see the value in what we're doing. And I think now a lot of them have just come to the conclusion that they're paying for it anyway. E either, either they're paying for it because 
when they hire a builder that doesn't have drawings, he's got to go spend a whole lot of money to get drawings. And that builder, if it's not one of the you know guys in, or, or women in our group, they may be reaching out to us anyway to help them out. You know, it's just, you know, they, they know we're a source of expertise and so they're coming to us. And if they're not paying for it at that level, they're paying for it in the construction defect case that usually happens within <laughs> about two years of the pool being yeah, built. Yeah. And because we've all done that work and there's a ton of it out there. And uh, frankly, it's too lucrative for the <laughs> attorneys to pass up. And so we're constantly getting calls about these problems. And when the pool is now a $700,000 pool to build it the first time, the lawsuit is now over a million. You know, it's a $2 million lawsuit. So the stakes all just got a lot bigger and yet they weren't willing to spend 20 grand to get some engineering done. It's you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to get done what we, we need to do on these projects. And it's amazing that, that the architects won't see the value in that insurance policy and get that done mm -hmm. ahead of time yeah. where everything's thought out and you know they've got another uh, resource of expertise to, to rely on. Some are coming along now. We do a lot of uh, weekend projects from uh, you know, Wall Street weekend houses and from the city, both Boston and New York. And I think the architects now, at least in my area, are pretty savvy to not say, okay, pooled by others because they're designing everything else and I, in good faith, I don't think they can do that through their clients anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, when the pools are 36 by 18, three and a half to six with coping and tile, but with the technology today and everything in the industry from acrylic walls to covers coming out of the floor to vanishing edge tiles, the architects are pretty savvy to say, okay, we need somebody on our team, at least in my area, that knows what they're doing because I can't just write a specification for the owner on my drawings, they pool by others. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the client a disservice for not doing my homework. And the clients, especially the next generation, I'm 54, but these clients that are 30 years old and coming up as a weekend house, they're expecting a lot more from everybody else than past clients ever did, I think. Yeah, and it's funny you say that, Bill. Recent experience with me on a commercial project, the client was was requesting a, a fountain, for instance, in the middle of the floor on an indoor thing. and and. We, we offered that, the architect had drawn something and said, can you do this, Mike, you, you bet. So we gave them all the specifications and then the client pushed the architect and said, there's a problem, the, the basin's too high. It just doesn't work for me. So again, problem solving. So the architect goes back, takes it seriously, calls me back in. Again, I'm on retainer already. And it was a very marginal kind of situation, but I came up with a solution and the solution was way outside of the box on a simple little interior fountain. It was an overflow into a surge tank to a pump back up to the fountain well, on a different floor. The, don't you find, Mike, that the client nowadays, better for better or worse, are more informed? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. They're more informed well, and they're letting, they're letting the architect know that and the architect can't just say pooled by others because that client has researched the hell out of everybody well, and, that, and everything. And, that, and that's where I was headed. So the client wasn't, as, as far as informed about I, I wouldn't call this particular situation more informed. It was more of a higher expectation. It's, it's like, why do I have to have that? I don't like that. I want it this way. Well, that way didn't really work in a in a, uh, a practical sense. So we had to come up with, again, the solution. And so the architect w relied on us. And, and it was literally one of those things. I'm sitting there in the meeting going, well, I could treat this like a, a big swimming pool where we do overflow into basins in a different location and pump water back. But if you want to go, and so anyway, I offered that and was able to sit up and sketch it on a, a little whiteboard real quick. And the architect and I are speaking the same language, going back and forth, came up with a solution. He came up with all the finishes, boom, worked. And the client was just thrilled. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a collaboration. One of, one of the other benefits of to, to the architects and, and the architectural industry to retain control of the pool, there's actually two big things. Money is one, because now they have an additional scope of their project and and we know that they get you know they build based on percentage of the build-out cost so there's some extra money to be made there but also they're now maintaining control of the overall design the so it's not getting away from them it's not some third wheel coming in suddenly you know trying to put lipstick on something it's totally wrong color or wrong shape they've they've got full architectural control over the whole project so now they can actually say this is my baby this is everything that i've done this is, you know, my design. Well, it'll help protect it long term because a lot of times what happens too when a pool builder comes in late is the budgets have gotten restricted. And so the GC and the pool builder yeah. now are trying to figure out how do we dumb this down or cheapen this up? 
and it can easily yeah. impact dramatically the value of engineering, right? <laughs> so if the architect has worked that out in the beginning so that everybody knows what they're building, it's much harder to deviate dramatically with a pool builder. Can, oh, I can do it for cheaper. We'll just do this edge detail. We'll do this finished material or we'll, you know, you've, you've given too much authority to a guy that doesn't understand the intent or the character that was being built there for an architect and they've lost, they lose track of that, especially if they're not educated in any way about architecture. You get a really complicated contemporary house that's got a lot of really important sight lines and visibility lines and bring a guy that doesn't understand the scale of all those parts together, he'll, he'll destroy it and save, save the client maybe 50 grand and destroy the entire composition. And I think, um, you know, the, the other thing is we live in a Facebook and Instagram world. And, you know, some of these projects that nobody ever saw photos of um, 10 years ago. You know, there's, there's been world-class pool builders, but uh, nobody got to see some of these projects. And, and now in the Internet world that we live in, clients are looking around and they're seeing, you know, these $4 million backyards and... and uh, and, and that's what's being designed and not really the, there's so many pool builders out there that don't really understand what goes into it. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the biggest frustration that I have talked to design professionals about is that uh, at the end of the day, um, the, the architect walks into the project at the end and they're bummed uh, because they're, everything was ruined. You know, the, none of the, None of the tenants that they had set out with their initial design have been implemented properly, and mm -hmm. and they're just, um, you know, they're really unhappy with the overall result. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a lot. One of the other advantages, yeah, we can start to set expectations with budgets and and that at the very beginning, but we can also uh, be a resource for them to give them the tools that they need to make sure that their baby, that their prized possession gets executed properly mm -hmm. uh, and just back and forth being able to say well we get, is it this design detail because they don't even always know all of the detailing that that is going to make it work and and we clarify that all early on in the construction drawings and um, you know and and it allows their vision of what they have for the backyard not to be dumbed down you know i think that's a, a another reason why we need to get involved early on on a project um, I mean, how many times we all laugh? We're given a four foot by eight foot uh, area kind of to awesome. put an equipment put an equipment set <laughs> for that. Yeah, that needs seventeen pumps and five huge commercial sand filters, <laughs> and basically needs a you know a room of itself. So getting us involved early on, and we can we can set those realistic expectations of what kind of space is needed for the equipment. Well, just for the equipment itself, and for serviceability, and for code compliance. Power uh, requirements. Power requirements, power. gas lines, yeah. um, you know, confined space issues. Um, and we can help them resolve some of those issues. Sometimes a lot might not have the space, but we've got solutions, you know, underground vaults, underground equipment rooms, putting things under the decks so that they can maximize. We realize how expensive most of the, this real estate is that our clients are building on. And that, you know, they're, they're not valuing it by the square foot, they're valuing it by the square inch. And so, we can't give you that much room to build that equipment. So we can offer those suggestions. Well, what about putting it in a subterranean vault under the deck? Mm -hmm. And now I've just given you 32 more square feet over there to do something else. Mm -hmm. What about, or, or for instance, they, they've got wrong parameters or wrong sizes or incorrect sizes or assumptions for a vanishing edge basin. Yeah. They've got a vanishing edge basin that's 12 inches wide. And said, well, there's not a shot creek crew in the world that can get inside of a 12 inch basin to shoot it. Six foot deep. Yeah, six yeah. foot deep. Yeah. Maybe we need to do a gutter with a storage tank, and but we've got the options and, and the solutions to those. We just need to get in early on. And sometimes by shrinking the basins and putting underground surge tanks, we've now been able to shift the pool a couple of feet one way or the other, which might've been one of their goals to begin with. Mm -hmm. We also can help them but with budget expectations. I think I see a lot of times too that the concept's too expensive to build. It's already been presented to a client. So now we got to figure out how to make it look or be similar to the concept. We can obviously do a lot of that early on too to make them understand that adding a lot in our edge detail is hundreds of dollars a linear foot to an existing pool structure. And maybe the client won't be able to handle that. Let's discuss some other options or not present. You never want to present the best concept possible that they never can afford because anything less than that is a, is a letdown. So if you can help them in the process of the design and the budgeting and early on, you hopefully present the best concept they can afford and they love it. 
versus going the other direction. Um, so I know we've been very helpful that way too and, and being able to direct some of these issues like, well, we want this. Well, okay, you realize if we do a surge tank, we're adding you know $40,000 to this project probably, oh, wait a minute, that's probably not possible. Let's not talk, let's change this detail. Let's, you know, there's a lot can be done that, that doesn't necessarily take away from the intent, but maybe isn't something the customer even got to look at yet. But we talk a lot more frankly about budgets, which is right. something, it's a lot different than the way the pool industry typically approaches these projects. We're not, we're not, they're not coming to us for a bid. Right. We're, we're talking to them much like the architects do up front is, well, what is your budget on this pool? And I want to make sure that what we're designing and what we're specifying fits within those parameters. Right. And that kind of helps align some of those client expectations during the design and conceptual stages. And that's why it's important that they get us in very early when they're designing their concepts. They say, you know, how much do you think this is going to be? We throw out a, a figure and they say, you know, what's the client's expectations? And then we can kind of start massaging the plans to kind of get it within those budgetary parameters. Mm -hmm. So how do we, um, uh, our, our audience here that we're talking to is really architects. Um, uh, let's really kind of drill down a little bit. When does an architect bring in somebody like us? I mean, if it's a, if it's a 15 by 30 traditional backyard pool sitting out in the middle of the field. Um, I, I think the architect needs to bring us in long before they have a project on the boards. Mm -hmm. and actually learn who we are and what we can do for them. Sure. And then have that in their mind when they're designing their projects. They all, it, might, it might let them be more exploratory in what they could do. And it also gives, they know they have a resource to do some things they haven't been able to do before maybe. So, um, and that'll also help them know, we'll have a relationship already. So they'll know, hey, I'm looking at this project. What do you think? Uh, I wouldn't do that. I would do this. Okay. All right, I'm going to meet with the client next week and then I'll bring you in. So I think it's critical to know who can be your pool designer and who can help you long before you even have a job on the boards. Yeah. Because you got to know what their capacity is. And I think most architects get limited with their creativity because there's a scare factor when it's out there, what's gonna end up being built. They can see the pictures that, you know, we can see the world now at our desktop. So they get to see all these cool concepts, but do they actually try to push that envelope? Not if they don't have a resource to solve the problem. Or so, they've had a bad experience. Or they've had multiple, well, if, yeah. they're, if they're a typical architect and they've done a lot of work, they've got a lot of bad experience. They're gunshot, they're very gunshot. Especially yeah. in the pool world, right? So we, yeah. we've created the, 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 the need for them to understand what we're capable of. And I, for, for our purposes, like we've, the relationship we've created with a lot of architects, some are drawn because a project came to the boards, but many times it's been us reaching out or them reaching out to us and getting to know each other first. Mm -hmm. Then they understand what we can do for them. We understand what they can do for us. And then together we start working on projects that come on, on the table. Well, the architectural cre our architect's credo is uh, problem solving, right. you know, yep. and, uh, and for, for the swimming pool aspect of things, we're that solution. So we're really hoping to eliminate pool by others on the plan. You know, I mean, or change the name of the company. I'm going to change the name of my company to pool by others, so they all call me. Be the richest guy in the nation. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's let's talk about um, uh, as we kind of wrap up. What are some of the 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 things that we would tell the architect audience? Um, what are some of the things that they shouldn't be doing? Uh, what are uh, where should their limitations um, stop? And, and, you know, different architects have different experience, but at what point do they really need to be bringing in a, uh, an SWD professional to, to start working out the details of that? Where's, uh, where are some of those lines? Well, the you know what the architect should do, Dave, is the architect should have a qualification statement. They shouldn't necessarily design structure or structural parameters. That's what engineers and stuff are for. They should have a qualification that says, in my opinion, uh, the pool contractor should be able to do A, B, C, and D or have this type of credentials. And then draw the pool and then let each pool builder bid, making sure that he satisfies those credentials. It's almost a pre-bid checklist. You have to be able to do this and you have to have this type of ability. We have in the, in the uh, American Chakra Association, we have a committee and a designation called the Qualified Contractor. You have to meet these certain criteria and, and qualifications in order to be accepted by an architect and engineer specifier to do this job. Architects, it'd be nice to have something like that where an architect say, okay, I have a, a baseline parameter for this company, any company, doesn't matter who it is, but you've got to be able to do this. And you have to have this type of equipment. You have to have insurance. You have to have uh, your own staff. You have to, or, or work with subcontractors that are qualified, some type of basic boilerplate information and then that architect can be assured that whoever I pick who meets that is going to be able to build my pool. 
Well, that's kind of an SWD master. So somebody who's exactly. already got the SWD master designation is somebody who's already been vetted by the industry, who's already gone through peer review, which right. is maybe that's something we need to talk about is, sure. is what it takes to get to the master level is, and I think Dave, you're probably the most versed in that, the units and education and vetting process. Yeah, well, I don't know about the vetting process. Certainly the education side, I think I've got a pretty good grasp on that. I mean, it's, it's 150 hours of coursework, and most of those are big classes. 138 of, of those hours are one, two, or even three-day classes, and all of those require projects or exams. And, and people do fail them. Yeah, and the remaining hours are are really electives, you know, that you could fill in with another big class or you could take a series of short ones to, you know, depending on what your your area of expertise is. You know, if you if you're a, a foreman and your job is to be out on site building every day, then you might focus those on, you know, concrete science or or something related to the, the building side of things. If you are a sales and design professional, uh, focused on pools, then maybe you don't spend time on concrete science. You know, you, you've picked up enough in the construction school to, to learn that. Maybe instead you're focused on, you know, a, a small space design or feng shui or something else that's going to help you from a design standpoint. Um, and so once you get through all of those programs, which takes usually a couple of years, I mean, we've got some people doing it now in about a year and a half, but that's pretty aggressive. I mean, it's, mm. it's a lot of a lot of travel because you're going to trade shows where we're offering the programs and everything. So, uh, and it's expensive. Um, no, this is know, one of the only accredited programs. Yeah, the it's, only accredited it's program. the only accredited program in the industry. So now, you know, you, there's value there. I mean, I, you know, it, it's, I, I don't want to say it's expensive that, you know, it's like over the top, you, you get what you pay for. You get a, you know, professionals in air with, with you know areas of their expertise, that's what they're focused on is these these instructors, and once you you get through those programs, then you're eligible to join the society, and there is a vetting process there. You're submitting uh, an application, and actually your information, including uh, you know client contacts and, and other information, actually goes out to the whole team, the the whole society. And the first, the first question that the society asks ourselves is, does anyone know anything about this person that would prevent us from letting them in? You know, and really, I mean, it's a small industry. News travels fast. And if you hear that somebody got hosed on this job or you're an expert on the, this one that he built, I mean, we find out about stuff. So it's a good first pass, you know, and if they make it through that, then you know, they would be accepted into the society. The master level is, a, is another step up. Uh, again, it's, it's more work product, but you also, there's a requirement that you actually work underneath uh, the, not the supervision, but work in partnership with another master for at least a, one project so that that master can understand how you work. Are you really following all of our, our, our rules, our protocol, our teachings, our, um, white papers, you know, the position statements, because we hold ourselves to a higher bar than, than any standard out there. So we've sort of, in a way, written our own standards. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're not saying that every job needs to follow every one of those rules, but if you're gonna totally blow it off <laughs> after you just spent tens of thousands of dollars and 150 hours over a couple of years, then you, your, your heart and your mind probably aren't in the right you know, mindset to, to, to be a master, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's this requirement that, uh, you know, there's this sort of uh, philanthropic uh, piece to the society as well. And, you know, that could be that, that you're spending time working with the American Shock Rate Association or, or you're dedicating time to the uh, Step into Swim program, trying to raise money to teach, uh, you know, kids how to swim before age five. Um, it could be something in government, re, you know, relations or working on standards or something like that. But we, we don't want just a bunch of people that just want to get a, a, a logo for their website, right? We want people that are engaged. And certainly we've all been engaged for a long time. And 
we want to make sure that anyone coming into the group has that same drive to want to keep raising the bar and other things. Dave, in just the last couple of weeks, created the first ever international mm -hmm. swim day yeah. in 13 days. And <laughs> it was amazing. And it's that kind of leadership that we're looking for, you know, these out you know, out of the box things. How old is this industry? Like a hundred years and we finally have our first international swim day. What could be more important than that for <laughs> not just our industry, but boating and scuba diving and fishing and <laughs> anything and related surfing. to water. You know? surfing, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things that I think, you know, inspire us internally, inspire people externally out, outside of the group to want to uh, you know, come, come to us. And that's why they're all out there working hard to pursue well, their... And, and the other thing to clarify too is, you know, like other professionals in other industries, uh, you don't just get your degree and then sit on it for the rest of your life. I mean, we, we have requirements, uh, you know, and you have to be keeping up your ISET hours and, and, you know, every year and two years, that's all being reviewed and, and you can't just get your degree and then you're done forever. Uh, we're, we, we hold all of our members to continuing their education and continuing to come to classes and, and not necessarily within our ecosystem. You know, it's, it's not this incestuous thing. You know, I know Mikey, you, you get most of your hours from, you know, from, from going, taking architecture classes in that, yeah. uh, you know, community colleges and, and things yeah. like that. Well, and, and it goes beyond that too. Not only, you know, going back to the vetting process of just being able to get into the society, but then also. Uh, the continuing ed, but then also your work product. You've got to live by yeah. the standard. If you don't live by the standard, as Dave mentioned, it's a small industry and we'll find out. And so there is a, a, a process, a mechanism in place to weed out the, the ones who don't follow the path uh, properly. So uh, that's that's part of uh, this, this industry or this particular society has teeth. Yeah, and, and that's one thing, um, you know, we're, we're reviewing applications all the time and, and we do push people back out and say, you know, we don't think you're quite ready yet. Uh, you know, we, in the last year we've had, um, you know, one of our members that we said, hey, we think you're, you're real close, but you're not quite ready. Uh, and so, um, and, and over the years we have kicked people out, you know, for ethical questions and for ethical yeah. problems and yeah. for, you know, just, just major workplace product. And, and I think that's really important to get that out there that, um, you know, it's not just because you spent the, you know, 50 or $60,000 and completed your education that you're in forever. Um, you know, it's a continual, um, it's, it's a, a continual, mindset. it's a mindset. And it's, a mindset. it's an honor. It's yeah. not a right. 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 Yeah. 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 Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And we take it seriously uh, yeah. because it's, it's the only way that we can credibly go out to the design community and say, Hey, you know what? Uh, these are the best guys in the industry. And we know that all of them are because, you know, we have these processes in place to make sure that if they're not, we move them out. Yep. You're only as strong as your weakest link. So if we can keep all the links strong. One, one of the newest trends that I see in our industry too, though, are the clients, more and more clients in the U.S. are starting to embrace um, residential wellness centers. And they're doing uh, not only the outdoor pools, but they're doing steam baths, dry saunas, uh, indoor spas, massage rooms, uh, aromatherapy, uh, flotation pools. So there's a lot of other things that we can bring to the table to assist architects with. Um, I'm sure all of us have worked on a project like that or some elements like that mm -hmm. uh, one time or another. But I'm certain you see more and more of those type of, basically I call it home spa. Yeah. Um, because clients uh, especially don't want to deal with, um, you know, paparazzis or, or going to a spa and spending the whole day there, they have those spa professionals come to their house and they get their treatments at home and don't have to go out and travel anywhere. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, as we start to kind of tie this down here, um, one of the, the things that I want to get out is just the fact that um, the SWD, we're not only about building estate pools, you know, and, and that. And, and so mm -hmm. um, the SWD membership, um, you know, we, we have called all of our members to be the best at what they do. Um, and so, you know, uh, talking to the architects, you know, you, uh, we're not just the society that is building, um, you know, Bill Gates' next pool. Um, you know, we have members that are in different communities throughout the world um, that are 
the best at what they do, uh, but they're not necessarily um, only qualified to do the best of the best. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I really want to um, kind of reiterate to, to the industry and to the design professionals is that um, you know you don't have to only look for an SWD member when you're doing your trophy job. You know um, some of these uh, as. As designs have gotten more integrated and, and Vanishing Edge, just take that as an example, that's kind of moved down into more the mid-market type of clientele, yeah. um, you know, but there are some definite tricks that need to be implemented properly. And so, um, you know, the, the members within our group are more than capable of that. And, um, you know, looking outside of our group, you know, sometimes it's a crapshoot whether those are going to work properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. So, you have a, you want to wrap I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have to build a million dollar pool to build a pool right. So. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. So, um, just, just pulling this back down here, um, I really, uh, this is just a, a, a kind of who is the SWD, who are we, why, uh, how we can work with the architectural and design professionals in the world and um, you know, there's, uh, you can go to our website. What's the website, Dave, uh, where they find uh, all the, our members and everything? For the society? Society members, yeah. Um, it's uh, watershapesociety.org, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So you can go there and, and really kind of learn a little bit more about our curriculum and all of that. Uh, but then the, the one great thing about that location is that you can see all of the all of our members all across the country and, and we're actually international too. So um, thank you very much for tuning in and uh, next time you have a real complex project, uh, make sure to think about looking for an SWD master to complete it for you. Thanks for listening to the Ask Masters podcast and don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share 